History happened everywhere. The verdict. This is our after show podcast where we look back at the most recent episode. This is metal in Azerbaijan during the 8th century. So if you haven't listened to that, go back and check it out or else you will encounter spoilers ahead. I used to have two sugars in a cup of tea, but now any touch of sugar in tea, it's horrible. Hello, you're listening to History Happened Everywhere. I'm here in the studio as ever with the wonderful Ryan Weir. Hello. And we have the devastatingly dapper Mr. Paul Dursley. Hello. Happy New Year to you, Mr. Dursley. Well, it's a bit late for that, isn't it? How late in the year can you say Happy New Year to someone <laughs> if you haven't seen them previously that year? I think right up until the end of the year. <laughs> so if you only see someone once a year yeah. on New Year's Eve. New Year's Eve, you, Happy New Year. I suppose you, yeah, as long as you leave before midnight, otherwise you've blown it for next year. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's true. <laughs> so we had a little bit of a break, Mr. Dursley. I hope you made good use of your time. What did you get up to? I had a nice, relaxing, doing nothing sort of Christmas and New Year. That sounds wonderful. I didn't think I didn't think I needed it, but you know, a change was as good as a rest. I know it's a cliche, but the thing with most cliches is they're true. Well, it does creep up on you, doesn't it? Stress and tiredness and just general life business. So, to all our listeners out there, take a moment, take a deep breath, and relax. Episode forty-three, guys. That's pretty good going. We're in the year twenty. 22 another 40 episodes still to come this year like i just want to look ahead and see what fun countries we're going to visit it is exciting isn't it although (laughs) the first two we've kind of stuck to the same area but Mm. who knows what the randomizer will throw up next time Uh, but i very much enjoyed our episode last week but i just just faint memories i've got of what may or may not have been said I, i really would help if somebody could recap what occurred how about i give you a 60 second review okay well i think you should do yes that. I think you should start because it. you've got it written down and i haven't exactly <laughs> that will help <laughs> uh, well i think you should do that right now i think you should start approximately now We started our first episode of 2022 in the Transcaucasian country of Azerbaijan. Known as the Land of Fire, this is a fascinating country that is as famous for its landscape of sun and snow as eternal flames and muddy volcanoes. Travelling back in time, we learned that Azerbaijan's important position on the map between Europe and Asia enticed a great number of land-hungry empires to invade. In the 7th century, the Muslim conquest found its way into the region, with the Caliphate starting an intense rivalry with the Kazakh Khanate, an empire of flail waving warlords north of the Caucasus mountain range. This rivalry hit its peak during the 8th century with many memorable and gruesome battles in and around Azerbaijan. In terms of metal, we covered the importance of Azerbaijan's position on the Silk Road and discovered how the international community brought metallic objects of all varieties to its doorstep. We discussed the importance of the curved metal blade known as the Simtar in helping the Caliphate turn the tide during battle, and we wondered at the political chicanery that took place between leaders of empires when it came to producing the design of a gold coin. As the kids might say, this episode was fire. That was last week's episode done. Summarised nicely, nice one, son. Now we're over to a young Dursley who's gonna tell you what he thought of the He'll take you apart without any care. He's the lovely Paul Dursley. The lovely Paul Dursley. 
Oh, yes, it's all flooding back to me now. Yes, uh, well, I personally thoroughly enjoyed it, found it educational and enlightening, but my opinion is not worth a jot, my friend. It's invalid. It all comes down to Mr. Dozy. So, Paul, first impressions, how did you feel about the first episode of the new year? I did run some numbers on it, and we never we never got to the time period until you were 32 minutes in. <laughs> Which is just over 50% of the way through it. (laughs) There was a lot of history that I needed to give. It wouldn't have made sense if I'd just jumped straight into the 8th century. Okay. And then you never mentioned much about metal in it, did you? There was the metal that was sold on the Silk Road, the coins, there was the simtar, there was the heavy metal at the end. So these are things made of metal, okay. (laughs) It was metal. And also uh, Bargic's. Metal, his character, as as, what, a, as in M E T T L E. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realise it was spelled that way. But he's, yes, he's clutched that okay. straw. He's holding on to it. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, actually, that 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 probably works in your favour. Yes, nice move. Score. That was silky skills. <laughs> I don't know if it's true though. He did. Did he have metal? I'd say he I did. I would say so. Yeah. yeah. He certainly tested. It certainly was. I think we have to address the elephant in the room there was well, there was an elephant in the <laughs> yeah. room uh, I, but i somehow suspect that's not the elephant in question now so what name your elephant paul what's the mountain range called the caucasus mountain range yes the caucasus do you know how i know it's the caucasus mountain range because i shouted at you yes because i got a text <laughs> message with a little voice note on it that just went it's caucasus that was it. That was the message. <laughs> so does that mean we should be calling Caucasian people Caucasian? Caucasoids. <laughs> How do you identify Caucasoid? Like aliens from a Marvel movie. The Caucasoids are coming. <laughs> I don't think you're. I don't think they're allowed to call it Caucasian anymore. Are they? I believe they're IC4. Oh, IC4? Really? Is that that they've now given them codes? I, I don't know what they are. Uh, IC4, I think, is the definition for what used to be called Caucasian. Okay. Is it like a Pantone? I was going to say, number? I favour a Pantone system where you have various cars, you hold them against your arm, <laughs> and you figure out exactly what code you are. Yeah. And then when you've been on holiday, you have to adjust all your book paperwork <laughs> because you're in a slightly different shade. <laughs> I, I've seen I've seen a, a cup of tea that's got all the Pantone colours close to a cup of tea, so you could like, have builder's tea or weak tea. <laughs> Same principle. Quite right, too. You need systems for these things. Things mm. need to be orderly. Which, funnily enough, makes me think about the coins that you were talking about, right? Mm. You were talking about how it's very important that the coin is the same size and shape and stamped in a, a uniform manner. Yeah, it was. Yeah, according to the Umayyad Caliphate, it was um, very important. So, Paul, you strike me as someone who has interest in coins and such. Is it numismatic, something like that? Numismatism, yes. Are you, are you, are you a coin collector? Yes, coin, coins are quite interesting. I, I don't know very much about them, but I know... I, I know some odd little factoids about them. Do you know about the Trial of the Picks, P-Y-X? No. The Trial of the Picks, it still actually happens uh, every year. A number of coins are taken from circulation, or t- taken from the coins that have just been minted and are assayed, but weighed and measured, etc. And it's it's still done. In, in the past, it used to be done, obviously, for clipping coins and various various things like that, making sure the gold content was right. But it's still actually done today. PYX, I think it's from the Latin but I can't say. 
Hello. This is the voice of the internet. First held in the 12th century, the trial of the Picts takes place in London in the hall of the Worshipful Company of Goldsmiths. At the trial, the deputy master of the Royal Mint is put before a high court judge as metallurgical assayers and selected leaders from the financial world sample coins from the mint's output. The coins being assessed are stored in wooden boxes which is where the word pix derives, from the Greek word pixis, meaning wooden box. In 2020, a total of 25,000 coins were put on trial, and were found to be accurate and precise. Thank you. All right. Okay. Now that's cool. Uh, now uh, you said something, Paul, that uh, triggered me in a positive way, which was you mentioned clippers because all this talk of coins inspired me to have a little dig around uh, about coins. And firstly, I wanted to look at the coins that you described because mm. I thought that was quite interesting. And the ones I saw were a little bit off center. There's, I had in my mind, obviously, our coins, which are so incredibly uniform, but you could clearly see where someone had just kind of whacked a stamp on a yeah. circle of metal, and there was a bit splodging over the side, effectively, which was quite. Yeah, they were. They certainly they certainly weren't uniform you know coins weren't really uniform up until the 17th century ah well and that's also made me think they had this splodgy edge and uh it made me think that our coins not all of them but some mm. of them have their little ridges on the the edge of the coin they do yeah uh, and i thought well what do they do decus et tutamen as it says on some pound coins what does it say and what did that mean for the audience? <laughs> a decoset to Tarban uh, effectively means a decoration and a protection. Ah. So, yes, the little ridges. What would happen in olden times? Yeah. You, coins without things around the edge were all supposed to be uniform, but and they were made of more precious metals. They weren't just tin and alloys mm. that they are today. They were actual gold and silver. So people called clippers would just shave bits off the edge of the coin, mm. just just enough so you wouldn't notice, but it gives them a bit of extra gold or silver. And that would then lighten the coin, but you wouldn't really notice, and they'd melt down the excess. Uh, and that way they would get extra coins out of the coins they had in their Oh, bag. I see. So you take a 0.001 gram of a gold coin and you, you take... do that a hundred times, times and you do okay. Right, okay. So these um, little rigid on the side of the coins these are called reeded edges apparently mean that if you did that you would see a shaved bit on the edge of your coin oh right I thought it was for like grip <laughs> I just thought like you could, it doesn't slip out of your hands when your hands are wet well it's a practical addition that it gives you a bit of extra purchase yeah. when flinging it at a vending machine right because they're in your fingers the whole time right you might have been eating like a greasy burger or something <laughs> well, I like that you had your eye on the practical there <laughs> That's why Isaac Newton was knighted, actually. Nothing to do with his scientific work. He was the master of the mint, and he oversaw the great recoinage. No way, really. Because most of the English coins at the time were, as Pete was saying, they were clipped. I think the, the word they use is debased. And so it was decided to sort of recoin everything. So everything was called in, melted down, and then the, then the coins were minted again in the new form. You can imagine these coins coming in like wafer thin piece of tin foil. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think this one's been had. <laughs> Uh, so I looked up the name of the dinar because I was curious where that like originated from because it, it had been used for centuries beforehand and uh, it originates from 
from the Roman times. It was a Roman coin, the denarius. As in LSD, pounds, shillings and pence. It's, it's the origin of the English penny. The, what, the, den- the denarius? Oh, is that the D of pence? Yes, LSD is pounds, shillings and pence. Pounds, shillings and pence. The pence is D for denarius, S for solidus, L for libra. Well, there you go. Cool. Well, I also looked up, because I thought I'm going to buy Ryan a coin. You can buy Umayyad coins. Can you? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) I I found a couple at auction. Okay. About 500 quid ago, though. Oh, okay. (laughs) I didn't choose to purchase you the coin. Well, that's interesting, because I looked on eBay, because I was going to buy you one. (laughs) I was. I was going to buy you both one, and see if I could get one. But funnily enough, yeah, gold coin, an ancient (laughs) historical gold coin. (laughs) 700 pounds, yeah. $1,000. Then that took me down another rabbit hole, and I found that the most expensive coin ever sold at auction, $10 million. Wow. For, and this is interesting, because you'd think it'd be a super old coin. Yeah. No, it's a 1794 silver dollar. Okay, that's not that old. 10 million. Yeah, exactly. The The front is a profile of Lady Liberty with flowing hair, hence the flowing hair silver dollar, an American eagle on the back, unsurprisingly. And only about 1,800 of the coins were ever made, so they're very rare. Which is they must why... be some of the first dollar coinage as well. Well, some people say it was the first silver dollar struck. Well, all of the colonies had their own currency, didn't they? It was invariably called pounds, shillings and pence, but they were all at different rates to the pound sterling. So like a Massachusetts pound may have been equivalent to uh, 10 English shillings, for example. Yeah, a Maryland pound may have been equivalent to 15 English shillings. Oh, that's just going to run great confusion. Ex- I think they did the right exactly. thing. Exactly. So they all had different currencies. And they sort of, I think they tied it together in something called a continental currency, which was still done in pounds, shillings and pence. And then just after that, they changed it to dollar. Which everyone I suspect was grateful for as they were trying to work out their change in pounds, shillings and pence. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, the interesting the interesting thing is why on earth would America in the 18th century choose a decimal unit of currency? Yeah, it didn't catch on, did it? In terms of use of decimalization, generally. <laughs> no, but it's but it's very odd given that then and even more now it's a stronghold of non-decimal things. So, like shares were still demarcated in 30 seconds of a dollar up until only a few years ago. So it's odd that they went for 100 units rather than 240 or 144 other other common ones. It's very interesting because there weren't that many decimal currencies then. Yeah, that's I, I favour that. That's why I prefer a car that measures speed in furlongs per fortnight. Furlongs <laughs> per fortnight. Okay, that's an interesting <laughs> measure. Do you know how fast you're going, sir? Nope. <laughs> because it I'm has the it. right dimension anyway. <laughs> There is, a, there is one English coin or British coin that's incredibly rare. I think it's a 1938 penny. It was only ever released as a proof, so it never went into circulation. But there was a mistake and something like three of them went into circulation. And Seems odd that for th- three would just get in. <laughs> it just fell off the side. Unless your guy's putting one to the side every day. <laughs> For the intrinsic value of the coin, that the actual value is enormous. It's many, 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 many millions of times the value of a coin, which is, you know, worth less than half a penny. It's a long distance, wasn't it, the Silk Road, right? Mm. You've got to imagine there was a lot of coins that were dropped just along the way and also buried, hidden, 
also so many stories over the what centuries of the Silk Road. I mean, it went for six hundred years longer. So you yes. think of all the little uh, anecdotes and stories of these traders that were, you know, they'd heard there were bandits up the road ahead, so they hid their stuff before you know, at night and then came back and they got killed or whatever. And that stuff's just hiding out there in the desert somewhere. I, I hear the sound of a hundred thousand detectorists holstering <laughs> their detectors and heading towards the Silk Road right there. <laughs> I'm sure it's been done. Yeah, it's it's one of those incredibly romantic places isn't it the silk road caravans on the silk mm, road it's very evocative isn't it yeah. yes practically speaking it was probably really boring it was boring Cameling and dangerous camel every day and dangerous yeah if there was lots of money going backwards and forwards along this route there would be highwaymen or the equivalents wouldn't there of course yeah absolutely it's always a bigger fish there is always a bigger fish with a bigger sword or scimitar Segwaying cleverly from coins into tax, we were talking about the jizya. Yeah, the jizya. Yeah. The jizya, which is the tax on uh, non-Muslims. non-Muslims. And mm-hmm. uh, we may have given a slightly wrong appearance that you were excessively taxed for being a non-Muslim. The Muslims were also subject to a tax, I, I discovered. So Muslims have to pay zakat, which is another tax, and it's explicit, explicitly used for welfare projects. And I just thought it was worth mentioning because it sounded like, yeah, you don't have to pay anything, especially the... <laughs> sketch we did really heavily implied that it but in did, fact yeah. the muslims were also paying tax and uh performing welfare activities i thought okay worth balancing the playing field there on that particular <laughs> yeah no fact. that's a fair point <laughs> all right good show it's like income tax was isn't it income tax was levied i think it was after the napoleonic wars as a temporary tax and it was some ridiculously low amount of something like five old pence in the pound so five over 240th of a pound and this temporary tax is still there, and it's now forty-five over six uh, over a hundred of a pound. I don't know what you're talking about. Top rate tax. Ah, okay. But, but I still don't know what you're talking about. Well, the t- t- income tax when it was introduced was five old pennies to the old pound. So that is five over two hundred and fortieths of a pound. But tax has always been a thing. When you say income tax, there has always been tax, right? The tax collectors are biblical. The taxes. Know, long, a much longer history than that. So, what, what distinguishes an income tax from all the other taxes in history? Um, I'm no economist, but I think an income tax is a what's called a non-hypothecated tax. So, it is a tax on income rather than a tax for something else. Ah, so not the levy for the army, but it's in fact just can I have some of your money, please? <laughs> yeah, yeah it's it's army, like so. <laughs> it's sort of. We still, not for much longer, have a hypothecated tax here, which is called the television licence. So that is something that you pay specifically for a reason, whereas the income tax, you pay it for multiple reasons. It just goes into a pot and is used as... Exactly, yeah. Interesting. Is it? Let's talk flails. 
let's, let's talk flails. I want to talk flails. Um, I was reminded of when you were talking about uh, the not quite ball on a stick, stick on a stick mm. attached by string, that of course they're very similar and of similar origin to the nunchucks that we will be familiar with from various kung fu movies of my youth. That's right. Also a threshing Sakura tool. Killers and Enter the Dragon. Yes. I won't bore you with an even longer list of <laughs> kung fu movies that I have watched. <laughs> but uh, yeah, they it's a similar sort of story, isn't it? It's a rice flail in that case hmm. developed into a weapon which again is more likely to render yourself unconscious as a user than, hmm. than the enemy but we talk about that like yeah yeah it's just a rice flail right but what what is a rice flail because i'm thinking if you're hitting the plant to take the little rice seed what is a rice yeah the husks they've the husks. got a little husk so you sort of whack them yeah to to separate them so you crush them up a bit essentially so, okay but, but the it, green inside is quite hard isn't it so that stays intact but aren't you just like whacking it halfway across the the field no you put it in a bucket or a you know ah, lay it out then you and you whack it. it and then certainly with wheat you uh separate the wheat from the chaff by lobbing it in the air yeah and then the very light papery covering blows away with the wind and the heavier grains fall down okay and then you're left with lovely grain and not nasty chaff because in my head you're walking through the field <laughs> whacking the plants <laughs> and then you've just got rice floating Did everywhere. Did you think this is some kind of harvesting method? Yeah, that's, no, that's exactly what I thought it was. <laughs> that's exactly, I thought you'd be harvesting the plants. That does sound fun. <laughs> not very effective. It's not effective. You thought they were just hammering the grains. That's just what I was thinking. You'd get like rice grains, you know, 20 feet across <laughs> The field. I don't want to be on a desert island with you. And then you have to go and pick them all up. I'm thinking, well, this is ridiculous. <laughs> Tell me you've been thinking that for years and years and years and you didn't just think about it with the rice fl- with the flail. No, I just thought about it with the flail. Oh, Azerbaijan, sorry. I the idea of you as a child, <laughs> lifelong belief in these people just walking through the fields. <laughs> Nunchucking plants. Their flail around, uh, and then painstakingly picking yeah, up whatever the <laughs> rice or the grains. That's what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> You mentioned briefly Damascus steel. Oh, Damascene steel. Now, you can buy knives today which are described as Damascus steel. I'm not sure it's exactly the same thing because there's a patterning on Damascus steel that you buy today. Is it actually the same as that original Damascus steel or is it just a, a just happens to be a modern, the, there slightly is, different thing? It's the same type, but there was one that was used for the swords and then there was this other one which we can now buy today and it does have this very strange like patterning on the actual steel itself. It is to do with the alloy and how it's actually created. I, I know but about they, the modern ones because a lot of it is is made now in Japan. I have a Japanese knife that has a damaskin shield, <coughs> damaskin shield, damaskin. I can't say it. <laughs> that has You've broken that down. Has a, <laughs> that has a blade of that steel. How would you um, describe that steel for? <laughs> <laughs> it has a wavy effect in because it's it's like flaky pastry and steel. It's a fold it over loads of times. Yeah, but so me feuille in French, thousand folds. 
that's effectively what you're doing with this with this metal. You're stretching the metal, then folding it on, compressing it down, stretching it, folding it, compressing it, stretching it, which makes it incredibly strong. And that's how you get the effects in the metal. It's quite beautiful to look at. It is, yes. Agreed. I'd rather I'd rather eat a flaky pastry though. <laughs> <laughs> With tea. (laughs) (laughs) So, moving on from Matters Marshall, I am interested in jam in tea. Are you? Yes. I I did a very brief Googling. It does seem to be a sort of broader Russian habit to put jam in your tea. Interesting. Um, But now I I don't know if, Paul, you've ever encountered jam in your tea, Russian style Not jam in tea. I certainly know that the Tibetans put butter in or yak butter in their tea. Have you tried this delicious beverage? I've not, uh, but yak butter is sort of just yak milk. You could probably put butter in coffee. Yeah, you put cream in coffee, so why not the next step up, which is butter? One knob or two. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about Yanar Dag. Yanar Dag was the name of the uh, hillside that is eternally aflame. I did ah, have a yes. little of that to see, because I, I, it's a very difficult thing to visualise a hill on fire. Yeah, unless you live in Los Angeles. <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> well, that's kind of where you go to, don't you, these wildfires? Uh, and yeah, it's a thin, porous sandstone layer, which has this hydrocarbon gas, which sort of just keeps on emanating from it. And uh, the, it's claimed that the fire was started in the 1950s by a careless shepherd who was just, I don't know, lighting a cigarette or something and started this fire. And of course, once it started, there's no real way of putting that out. Uh, but there is also another site. It's known as the Fire Temple near Baku. And it has, uh, it's similar, it's sort of semi-porous ground with gases emanating from it, only those gases ran out some time ago. So now they're fed from a gas main just for tourists <laughs> <laughs> so if you go there just bear in mind it might not be entirely natural so perhaps we should move to the main and final event the scorecard Paul Dursley, are you ready? Yes, you have to tell me the subcategories. Okay, so subcategory one is educational content. Were you informed, enlightened, educated? It's an area. It's an area of the world that I knew little about, and I now know a little bit more about it. A very little bit more about it. So I will give a B minus for that. I, I think it's an interesting part of the world. I, w- I would like to go there. Me too. He's trying to suppress his glee, but it is manifest. My arms are aloft in joyous victory. Moving on. Entertainment factor. What are you thrilled, excited, laughing, crying? The gamut of emotions was run. Or did you enjoy it at all? There were too many little skits in it this time, I think. Too oh, many. Too many. Okay. The, uh, the punchlines were telegraphed ahead <laughs> i knew he was going to be something to do with pigs yeah he was a pig farmer he was a pig farmer <laughs> I, I think sorry i can only give a c minus i'm disappointed i'll be honest <laughs> so dursley factor do you feel kinship did you did it tickle your funny bone did that ineffable sense of dursleyness come across this episode yes 
I thought it was an interest. I did think it was an interesting episode. Mainly the country. Obviously, the country was fascinating, and that whole era and the wars. Mm-hmm. Okay, we had very little about the time period and the subject. The country, really. So. But it's an interesting part of the world that I, I suppose you can call it this. It's the edge of the fertile crescent, isn't it? So oh, that's beautiful. They should call it that. What the edge of the fertile crescent? Yeah, Pumped for land of fire, fire. instead. That's, <laughs> that's more metal. Yeah, to have, be a, fair. have a word with marketing voice. <laughs> I will give you a B minus. That's good. Very Two promising. B minuses and a C minus. And now all rise. Any final words in your defence, Mr. Arnweir? Um, yeah. So, uh, Your Honour? My Lord, I think. My Lord. I wish to plea... Uh, Insanity. For... Insanity. <laughs> <laughs> I wish to plea in- insane. So if you could bear that in mind, that would be great. Granted. <laughs> Thank you, your, <laughs> my Lord. Had you mailed him some sump oil for a nice bath, he might have managed to boost your grade <laughs> a little bit. Barrel of four stars, you said. So, the final verdict. Mr. Paul Dursley, Your Honour, Judge, Your Highness, my Lord, what is your final grade for Brian episode? I think, do you know, as it's a new year, I might, I'm going to be generous. And I will give a B- minus for the whole thing. The crowd goes wild. The journalists are rushing to the phone. The verdict is in, and it's a good one. <laughs> it was it was very close between a C plus and a B minus. Escaped it. Nice work. Well, I think that's absolutely deserved. So I thought it was a terrific episode. It was the plea of insanity that helped kick it over its edge. Never goes never goes astray. <laughs> insanity plea. <laughs> I would always recommend it. Thank you, my lord. I appreciate your uh, generosity and your kindness and your consideration. Yes, I'll expect something in the post. Understood. But not a horse's head. How about a barrel of oil? Oh, yes, so I could have a bath. <laughs> <laughs> but only for 10 minutes. Before they start to oh, peel yeah. your yeah. skin off. <laughs> I love that. You know, <laughs> you, you sort of, yeah, this is, this is a really good way of doing it, but you can only do it for 10 minutes or it will kill you. Right, that, everybody, is our show for this week, first of the new year. Well done, everyone. Well done, Ryan. Good score. And thank you, Mr. Dursley. Thank you all for listening. Pleasure. And as ever, if you would like to get in touch with us about anything we've talked about or just to say hello, tell us you missed us over the break, you can reach out to us on social media through hhepodcast.com or email us at peteandryan at hhepodcast.com. Yep, and we'd love to hear from you. And you never know, you might end up featured on a future show if you get in contact. And another way to definitely feature on a future episode is to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts and your recommendation it really helps to sort of bring the show out to new listeners Uh, if you are on TikTok Instagram Facebook Twitter the social media stuff you can find us at HHE Podcast and subscribe to those and you'll get a little alert when we post one minute animated HHE Bites that we do yep and we're going to be back again soon with our next episode which is Uzbekistan on the subject of smell Uh, the time period is first phone to iPhone and if you can't get enough of the show check out our back catalogue of episodes which you can find in your podcast app YouTube or on our website hhepodcast.com 
It's fortunate you can't smell his back catalogue. <laughs> <laughs> All right. On that dubious note, a huge thank you to the judge himself. Thank you, Paul. Pleasure. Uh, and that's it. I guess all that's left to say is you've been listening to Do you know I saw I saw some police on horses dro- walking past today just just outside my flat. I thought that was quite impressive. Do you think police horse people start out as keen equestrians and then you join the police because it's one of the few occupations you can ride a horse all day? Or police are told you're going to be a horse policeman, you have to learn how to ride a horse? I think it's a bit of both. Yeah. I.e. you join the police, has anybody ever ridden a horse before? Yeah, <laughs> hands up. Well, I'm surprised that police are even using horses these days. They're good for crowd control. Yeah, yes. They're scary. I find the horses quite terrifying, so mm. it works on me. <laughs> I often wonder what other animals the police could be using. If there were, you know, you've got the dog police and you've got horse police, why don't you have bear police? That would stop me. Hippopotamus police. <laughs> Hippopotamus police. <laughs> Hippopopolis. <laughs> <laughs> they run fast. Right, they're terrifying. They're they the one of the most people, dangerous animals yeah. there are. Yeah. That would, that would make you think twice before you've completed your shoplifting. But hippos tapping on the window. The hippopopolis <laughs> coming after you. Yeah. The, 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 pro- the, the problem is there's not there's even less of the shop left after the hippopopolis <laughs> <laughs> come and get you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my Lord. Are you okay? <laughs> yes, I had a, a dry biscuit. I think a bit of it must have got stuck in my throat. I mean, you're just the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> <laughs>